0: Glad to be here with you guys this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And since we're preaching uh, in a letter that is written to Greeks, let me tell you about the Greek myth of Achilles. Uh, Some of you may know the story very well, but as the legend has it, uh, Achilles was essentially invincible, almost invincible. And he was approached by a Greek king and asked if he would join a battle against the, uh, against the city of Troy, and before Achilles agreed to this, he was approached by a sorcerer of, of, of some kind, and he was given two options. The first option was he could either choose not to go and stay back, and if he did that, he would grow to live a very old life full of kids and grandkids, and he'd be very happy And he would die an old man, but no one would remember his name. The second option is that he could go into battle with Troy or to Troy, and he would surely die in that war, but his name would be remembered forever. Now, the reason those stories pull us humans in is because every human has a deep desire to make a difference in the world, right? We all want our lives to mean something. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. If you're a Christian, you want to be the Peters, right? You want to be the Pauls. You want to be the people who go out and make a difference in the world. We want, we want, to be, we want our lives to mean something. We want to leave a legacy, right? The whole, I mean, the whole outcry of our culture today is we want to make a change, a social change. We want our lives to make a difference. Well, if you've been with us at all these past couple weeks, then you know we've been talking about this church in Thessalonica, and they are maybe the prime example of a group of people that made an amazing difference in the world around them. So if you're here and you're somebody who would fall under that category If someone who says, yeah, I, I want to make a difference in my life. I don't want to waste the time I have here. Then, then I think, I hope, I pray that this message is for you. Again, if, you, if you've been with us, then you know, you've hopefully picked up on the fact that this church in Thessalonica is just flat out different Right? They're a different breed. We've been learning that they, they, they suffered for their faith, but they did it with joy. <laughs> I mean, that's weird. right? And not only did they love people, but they labored in their love for people. And Paul tells us later on in his second letter to the Corinthians that this church in Thessalonica was extremely poor. They didn't have a lot of money. But what they had, they gave a lot of it. They were generous even when they are poor. In fact, Paul tells, if you look at all, this is outstanding, Gr- grab this. Out of all of the letters that Paul writes to churches, all of them, this is the only letter that he does not rebuke the church. Think about that. And right here, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, we pick up our story And we have an amazing example of a global difference this church made with their lives. So let's look at these verses. And and while we do, I'm gonna ask three questions. That's all I'm gonna do. The first question that I'm gonna ask is what kind of a difference were they actually making? I mean, really, what we preachers have a tendency to just exaggerate stuff when we're on the pulpit. So what kind of like what were they actually doing, right? Second question is What were they doing or or what had they done to make this difference, right? The difference is great, but what were they actually doing to do it? And then the last question is, what can we learn from them so that we can make this kind of a difference? Okay, so let's look at these verses here. Verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we do not need to say anything. That's an amazing statement. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the first thing I want to know, the first thing is what kind of a difference did they actually make? And let's let Paul tell us, right? I'm up here, but forget me. Let's actually, let's look at the verses, look at verse eight, and let's let Paul just tell us flat out. Verse eight, he says, for not only has the word of the Lord, that's another way to say the gospel message, right? So not only has the gospel message sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, and that word sounded forth, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Only time. And it gets the idea of a thunderclap. So you see the lightning, and then you wait. Sound waves are coming closer. Three, two, and then you hear the thunder. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what's happening here at this church. Their witness for the gospel is literally thundering out. It is having ripple effects all throughout Macedonia and Achaia. Now, the context of this verse shows that Paul is probably talking about believers in Macedonia and Kea that are being affected by this. And I'm getting that from verse 6 and 7. You can look at that on your own time. But I want to make clear that we cannot and we should not rule out the evangelistic outreach of the church in Thessalonica because of this context. And I'm not saying that just because I'm the evangelism guy, right? I just want to talk about evangelism. That's true. I do want to talk about evangelism. It's awesome. But that's not why. I have good reason. I think I have proof from the Bible. Because in Acts, we see multiple occasions where the Thessalonians are actually going out and witnessing to the world around them. Specifically in Acts 20, verse 4. I think it's going to come up here. Where you have two Thessalonican men who actually join Paul in his missionary Journey. So we know, we have proof from the Bible that the Thessalonians had boots on the ground going out and they're making a difference, witnessing to unbelievers. And I say all that to say that their witness, whether it's to Christians or non-Christians, were ringing out like echoes of thunder all over Macedonia and Achaia. Now, don't just brush by that as if it's no big deal. Like, we have a tendency, oh, okay, cool, it's going out all over the place. Think about how amazing that statement is. Imagine I came up to you, and I pointed at you, and maybe your cell group, because that's maybe how big the church was at that, at that time. And I said, because of your witness, the entire city of Ankeny now knows the gospel. Think about that. That's amazing. And that's not even what Paul's saying. What he's saying is far bigger than that. Look at verse 8. Let's go back to it. He's saying, not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Paul says, forget Macedonia and Achaia. You know, the whole world now knows the gospel. The whole known world around them knew the gospel because of this church. Look at this picture that I'm about to throw up here. This is modern-day Greece. Macedonia and Achaia, up against the United States. I love this picture because it's not like Paul is saying, Janus from down the street now knows the gospel because of you guys. He's saying that because of your gospel or witnessing outreach, you're reaching states, massive land areas. I mean, forget Ankeny. What if I came up to you and I pointed at you or I pointed at your cell group and said, because of your witness... You have reached the entire state of Iowa with the gospel. That is amazing. And if that wasn't enough, Paul takes it a step further like he usually does. Look at the end of verse 8, the beginning of verse 9. He says, not only, not only has your faith gone out. It's one thing for your faith to go out. But he says, your faith has gone out in such a way so that we need not say anything. For they themselves, that is the people Paul's running into, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Essentially, Paul's saying, I got on the job site and the job was done. <laughs> right? It reminds me of a uh, when I was hanging out with one of my old high school buddies. who's um, We did all sorts of stupid stuff, back in the day at least. And I, I was playing basketball with him. And I was a Christian at this time. And I thought to myself, I, I need to share the gospel with this guy. And so I brought up, probably awkwardly, God in some sort of conversation. And to my shock, he turns to me and he goes, yeah, man, actually, like a year ago, I became a believer. Me and my wife did, and now we're a part of a church. We're serving, we're, we're worshiping there, and it was, it was amazing. I was like, wow, my job is done. I don't need to do anything, right? Well, in Thessalonica, this church's witness, the gospel thundered forth, Went out, rang out in such a way that the people that Paul ran into in this massive land area did not need to be taught the gospel. They did not need to be taught how to suffer with joy. They did not need to be taught how to be generous with the poor. They did not need to be taught how to labor in love for one another, all because the church in Thessalonica had such a witness. They made such a difference in their lives that everyone already knew. You've got to admit, that is amazing. And so the question I want to have an answer to, and I hope you have Want to hear an answer to is how did they do it? That's the difference they made, but how did they do it? Or what were they doing to make such a difference? And I I see three things in the next two verses. There's probably surely there's way more than this, but I'm gonna point out three things. And the first two can be found in verse nine. So again, look at the verse. Forget what I'm saying, look at the verse. Paul says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So the first thing they did to make this unbelievable transformation of the world around them was they turned to God from idols. Now I got to say this before I really get into the point of the text because it's so important. The only reason, the only reason the Thessalonians made any difference at all is not because they were rock star Christians. You get that? The reason they made any difference at all is because in Acts 17, they heard the message, the gospel message from the living and true God, and that living God transformed them. Any difference that they made was due to God, not them. God changes the world through people, not the other way around. You get that? I think that's such a big deal because we have a tendency to make people into the heroes of the story. But it's not the Thessalonians, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who takes hard hearts. It's Jesus who takes unrepentant, uninterested sinners like me, like all of you, and transforms them into these amazing tools for the kingdom. And that's exactly what was going on right here. And of course, of course, I'm not saying we don't look to people as examples. I mean, that's the whole point of this text. The whole point of this sermon is for us to look as, at the Thessalonians as examples. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we must never see humans as the main heroes of the story. Because when we do, we are robbing God of the glory he deserves. Okay, so let's get back to the text right here. They turned to God, but they didn't just turn to God, they turned to God from idols, right? And that's also really important because to turn means to move in the opposite direction, right? So it's not as if Paul was, or these, these uh, Thessalonians were on this path of life. And they just decided to kind of add Jesus in, in the mix of their idolatry, right? No, that's, that's wicked. That's, that's American Christianity, right? That's the idea that, yeah, I'll take your Jesus as long as my life doesn't actually have to change afterwards. I'll take your Jesus as long as I can keep my idols of, 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 of my job, my family, my religiousness, my sex, my drugs, my anything. I'll take your Jesus as long as I don't have to change. That's not what this church was doing Rather, they were enslaved on this path towards their, their master of idolatry, and they turned in the complete opposite direction to a new master, a master that was living and real and would change them. And as a result, the people around them, their friends, neighbors, family, and the cities around them, took notice of the changes in their life. And that kind of brings us to our second thing that the Thessalonians did to make such a difference, which is they served the living God with joy, even in the midst of suffering. And I'm getting that from the end of verse 9 there, where it says they served the living and true God. Now, this may sound like an oxymoron, but did you know that the gospel actually sets you free to serve? Did you know that? It does. The Thessalonians, what was happening here is they were enslaved in their sin to a worthless master that hated them. That's all of us, by the way, before we come to Christ. And what happens in the gospel, the gospel is essentially God's legal love letter that sets us free from the bondage of a worthless master and and we're running into the arms of a master who loves us. And as a result, what happens is it actually becomes our joy, our pleasure to serve this God or this master. And we we understand this on a rudimentary level, right? I mean, when I was dating my my now wife, she asked me for a three-hour car ride back to her house from college. If... Any of you ask me for a three-hour car ride, I gotta really like you, right? I mean, it's probably not gonna happen. But it was my joy to serve her in that moment because I loved her. And I wanted to serve her. I wanted more of her, right? We could get in that, but we loved her. I wanted her, I wanted her. But that is exactly that's exactly what's happening here with the Thessalonians. They found themselves wanting to serve. God when they turned to him from their idols they wanted to serve their lover but maybe the biggest difference with them and with us would be that their life of service or the life of service that God had in mind for them would be one of great suffering and great agony at times but they did it with joy some of them would lose their jobs some of them would lose their families their friends even their lives possibly, but through all of this, their radical commitment to serve the living and true God with joy, even in the midst of suffering, caused not just their friends and their neighbors, the people around them, but the entire world around them to take notice. And the question they're asking is, what is so different about that church? Why are they so different? And as a result, they were a stench to some, which is why they were persecuted. But they were, in a, they were a pleasing aroma, as 2 Corinthians says, to others, which is why the word thundered out from them. The third thing that the Thessalonians were doing to make such an amazing difference was they were waiting for the return of Jesus. Look at verse 10. Paul says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now that word wait right there carries the idea to wait expectantly with confidence as you go about your daily life. So it means that the Thessalonians were not just sitting on their hands, looking up to the skies, doing nothing, waiting for Jesus to return. They weren't doing that. It's like, tried to think of an illustration earlier this week. It's like my sons, my youngest sons or my oldest sons, and they're little. And it's like I told them, hey, if you pick up the house while I mow, then I promise when I come back inside, we can go get ice cream. Now the house, they're young kids. The house may be way too messy for them to actually pick up. There's clothes all over the place that they can't reach, but that's not the point. They'll never do it perfectly, but that's not the point. The point is that they must be picking up while they are waiting for me to come back inside. Do you see that? The return of Jesus was not an excuse for the Thessalonians to do nothing. Rather, it was their motivator to do something, to do something with the little amount of time that they had. So by doing these, these things, by turning to God by serving in the midst of suffering and waiting for Christ's return, we see that Paul, and maybe even more accurately, God Himself, was able to say, You reached, everyone around you heard the gospel. This church's life, the people in this church, their lives made a difference. So what I want to know is our third question. Hopefully, it's obvious: What can we learn from them so that we, at Sailorville Church, right here in Des Moines, Iowa, can actually go out and make this kind of a difference? I mean, do you, do you believe that that's true? I believe it's true, right? I mean, do you wrap your mind around that thought? If Paul was alive today? Do you think it's even possible that he could write a, ch- a letter like this to Sailorville Church? I want that to happen. I think it's possible. I think our theology forces us to believe that's possible. But I desperately want that to happen for us. And so let me give you five ways to imitate this church in order to make a difference in the world around us, but even in the community around us. Number one rapidly turn to God, rapidly turn to God. Some of you, in a group this size, it's inevitable. Some of you, and some of you listening, are all the way back at the beginning of this message, right? You, you want your life to make a difference. You don't want to waste the little time you have, but where you're looking for that purpose, where you're looking for that satisfaction is in fading means. And what I mean by that is that everything in this world is fading. Right? We get that. And so when you look for satisfaction in fading or worldly means, your satisfaction will fade right along with it. Which means that the only satisfaction that will never fade needs has to come from an unfading source. You following that? And that source is Jesus. That's the only it's he is the only one who can actually give you a fully purposeful, fully meaningful, fully satisfying life. Because some of you here and some of you listening online this morning, you are miserably, you're like the Thessalonians before they heard the gospel in Acts 17. You are miserably on this life, this path of life, chasing after empty, worthless idols. And what you need to do is you need to do what the Thessalonians did. You need to turn to God. Turn to Jesus. Acknowledge. Acknowledge your bondage to sin. And look to Jesus who says, I'll take your sin and I will give you what you need most, which is my perfection. And I will forgive you of your sins. And here's the catch to all of that because it gets better. God's way better than we can give him credit for. Not only when you turn to God will you gain eternal life, that's true, but like the Thessalonians, God will transform you into the tool, an amazing tool for the kingdom, and you can make, forget temporary differences, you can make eternal differences. That's good news, guys. Rapidly turn to God. Secondly, remember that God is the hero of the story. The Apostle John wrote in Revelation chapter 3 a letter to the church in Sardis, and it wasn't a happy letter, where Jesus actually said, I know your deeds. He's talking to the church, and he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night. They had a reputation. Well, let me tell you something. Salival Church has a reputation of being a gospel-centered church evangelistic church. I don't think anyone's denying that. But if we think here at Sailorville for one second that we can try and take any of that glory or shine the spotlight on us to make us look good, we are going to be just like this church in Sardis and we will be wiped out before we can think. God is not working through prideful hearts. He doesn't want to work through prideful hearts. God hates pride. Remember that God is the hero of the story. Thirdly, realize that the world is watching. And Paul says in verse 9, for they themselves report, right? This also reminds me of Jesus' warning in Luke 12, 48. He says, to whom too much is given, to him much will be required. Well, the Thessalonian church was actually positioned in a very prominent, very highly populated, a well-respected area and position. And we too, if you're being honest, are positioned in a situation like that here in Des Moines, aren't we? I mean, think about it. We have 200,000 people living in Des Moines, 65,000 people living in Ankeny, most of whom are lost and unsaved. And many of whom are looking at churches like Sailorville and asking the question. They're watching us to say, what are they going to do? Everything happening in the culture around them, what are they going to do? They're watching us. But move on from the church and ask yourself, I'm pointing at you guys now. The Thessalonians, they had their, their reputation sounded forth, right, to everyone, Well, I don't need to tell you that your reputation sounds forth no matter what, right? The question is, is it a good reputation or is it a bad reputation? Just the other day, I was talking to somebody and and they were telling me about a high school friend of mine that they ran into, and this high school friend was telling him all sorts of crazy things that I was doing and my bad reputation, as if I haven't heard that enough. But that's my own making, of course. But it reminded me, when I was hearing that, of just how much today, and I don't do it perfectly, but just how much today I desperately want people to see Jesus when they see me. That's what I want. And that's what I hope you want. Because whether you like it or not, people are watching. The world is watching Christians to see what they do. So what will they see when they see you? Will they see Jesus? Fourthly, resist dependency on gifted people. Verse 8 says, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. That's an amazing statement right there. That's my favorite statement. That's my favorite verse in this whole text. The Thessalonians were not dependent on Paul for their faith to go out to the world. They did it themselves. You see that? And this actually is the entire this is, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that this is actually God's designed plan for reaching the nations. It's not the few gifted or whatever you want to call us, people on staff, to go out and make a difference. Look at Ephesians 4. I think it'll pop up here. This is what Paul says. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, what did he give them to? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of the church. It's like what J.D. Greer said one time. He said, when I became a pastor, I left the ministry. And what he's saying, and what we're saying, what Paul is saying is that our job is not to do the work for you, but to equip the church, to equip Sailorville to go out and reach. Go out and reach the community of Sailorville, Des Moines, Ankeny. That is what we want. That's what we're praying for. Fifthly and lastly, ready yourself for the return of Christ and see it as a motivator for evangelism. I've been thinking about this for a little bit. This is broad brushing for sure, but I've noticed that the generations before me were far more interested and mindful of eternal things, or or of end times, I mean. And the pendulum has kind of swung back in the other directions with with my generation and maybe the generation below me where we are more focused or mindful of the, the current cultural problems going on. Like This is where our mind is at. And I've concluded that both generations are both right and wrong. We can't be so focused on end times that we neglect the here and now, right? But at the same time, we cannot be so focused on the here and now that we neglect to wait for the glorious promise of our Savior coming. We should look. To the return of Christ as our primary reason, our primary motivator to get out there and do something. Get out there and reach the culture, reach the community, reach the world. In Sailorville Church, that's my desire. That's my prayer for you guys. For for all of us. I, I feel like just in the past couple of months, I'm just now starting to wrap my mind around what it might look like for Sailorville Church to reach the community around us. But I cannot do it by myself. We cannot do it by ourselves. We have to have your help. We we need you guys out there, like the Thessalonians, out there changing the world with your own lives. Achilles, according to the myth, would go on to fight in the Trojan War where he would die for a glory he would never personally experience. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, We Christians do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For those of you who turn to God and lay your life out for the kingdom, I promise you you will be making a difference here on earth. And God promises you that he's preparing you for a glory beyond all comparison and all comprehension. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for who you are. We love you. As we transition to the Lord's table, Lord, help get our minds ready to worship Jesus, to recognize Jesus for who he is. He is the one who transforms dead people into living people. He transforms people who don't care about anyone but themselves into people who care about other souls. That's my desire for this church. I pray that that would happen. We love you. In your son's name, amen.